0: The reading today comes from Romans uh, chapter 12, verses 1 to 13. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing and perfect will of God. For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, as we have many parts in one body and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the proportion of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If teaching, in teaching. In exhorting, exalt- in, in exhortation. Giving with generosity. Leading with diligence. Showing mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Outdo one another in showing honour. Do not lack diligence in zeal. Be fervent in the spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality.
1: Well, good morning again. Uh, What a privilege to be able to bring to you uh, this last kind of uh, passage as we reflect on uh, our vision uh, and what it means to be an ever growing uh, diverse church family. And as we've covered uh, various M's, uh, today we are looking at, as uh, Ryan said, uh, ministry. Uh, Can I get these lights on? Maybe I can do that by doing... It. There we go. Excellent. Uh, now, as we, um, as we start, I wonder if you can think of a moment in your life uh, that you would describe as a little slice of heaven. Maybe you've thought of a holiday, you know, that moment where kind of your feet are in, is in the water, lapping up, again you know, on the beach, uh, in sand. You're going to hashtag blessed, you know, feeling all very like heavenly. Uh, maybe a camp. Uh, that's what I thought of. I thought of a time when, kind of, you know, it was so formative, so kind of close with brothers and sisters, uh, feeling so drawn to Christ. Uh, maybe making a slice of heaven in your garden. You know, that kind of moment where you're like, sort of, you know, pulling out the weeds and you're forming something beautiful, and you step back and you're like, that's beautiful. a Bit of creation cultivated. How about last Sunday night? You know, the gathering of the saints, as Ryan shared and as Aiden as well. Uh, you know, a wonderful time together, eating, sharing lives. Uh, sharing in the work to make it happen, and an overflowing of thanksgiving and prayer and singing. Uh, Someone described it as one big family barbecue. I love that. There's so much kind of richness in that, is there not? Well, we have been brought into the love of God, a foretaste of when we will no longer need faith and hope. That's how 1 Corinthians describes it, when only love will remain, because we will see our Lord face to face, In this final week of Vision Month, I'm calling us to practice and point to this reality as we serve God and serve one another. So, so far we've looked at maturity and magnification, uh, making Jesus large, keeping our eyes fixed on Him and teaching and encouraging one another in that love and truth that we have in Christ. We looked at membership and mission. Uh, a community dependent on God and on each other, and that overflows in its love towards those who don't yet know Jesus. We looked at the next generation last week. We want our young people equipped for life and strong in faith. I loved hearing about the stories uh, and, uh, and in what Isaac shared last week. And this week, we're looking at ministry. How will we do this together? How do we make this come about well, of course, as we'll see, as we often do, that it's more about God than us. And yet there is a calling upon us as we respond to God. Um, I couldn't help but notice, as I sort of, you know, delved into a little bit of statistics, um, uh, this this one here from uh, Volunteering Australia, asking the question, why do you volunteer? And this isn't a religious thing. Uh, you can see all kinds of reasons there. Uh, personal satisfaction to do something worthwhile, helping the community. Religion, religious beliefs in there. But I dare say that kind of like if I had a survey and religious belief wouldn't really kind of sum it up well enough for me. Uh, in fact, the statistics will say that Christians are more likely to serve and volunteer in their community than any other people group. Uh, why is that? Well, that's what we're looking at today. Christians are, are saved to serve, and we have something uniquely driving us. As we hit Romans 12, we, come, we hit the pivot point in this epic letter that Paul wrote, uh, the kind of tipping point between uh, theology and practice, or, or, of being and doing. And I'm going to sum it up like this, in joyful, in joyful and ever-grateful response to His mercy... Let us give ourselves to God and others. Let me say that again. In joyful and ever grateful response to his mercy, let us give ourselves to God and others. That's going to need some unpacking. And so here we go. Uh, let me read those first verses. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing. To God. Well, the big message of Romans is that we have all fallen short of God's glory in our sin and in our failure to live up to God's measure. But, that big sort of gospel, but, but, all people everywhere have free access to the riches of God's mercy in Christ if they trust Him. Now, we don't deserve this. That's the idea of grace, it is given. Uh, as a gift. We don't deserve that. And God has not just given us a free pass. He's given us Jesus so that he remains just in his mercy and that what was ours, that was judgment, now is Christ. And what was Christ, the riches of glory, is now ours. We've been saved by grace. Shall we keep on sinning, Paul will say? No. Come to appreciate what we've been saved into that we've been bound up with Christ, that we've been given the Spirit of God within us, that we might call God our Father as beloved children. And after Paul wrestles with this and the whole Old Testament story of God's faithfulness, despite uh, Israel's and people's lack of faithfulness, his head explodes as he says this, "'Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom "'and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments.'" And his path beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counsellor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. That's the end of chapter 11. His head just explodes in kind of just trying to get it around the wonder and the glory and the extent of the grace we have received. And that's why chapter 12 begins with, therefore. Therefore, in view of this mercy, in view of everything that God has done for us, in view of the gift we have received by the God who came to serve not to be served, we are called to respond. Now, this isn't what's called like a debtor's ethic. It's not that parent's guilt trip. It's not that kind of like, son, do you know how much I've given up for you so you can go to this school? <laughs> uh, you know, that, what does that do for the kid? It makes, oh man, I'm so, it, it sort of, it guilts them, it pushes them, it coerces them, it's manipulative. This is not that. Why? because as we see littered throughout Romans and throughout the New Testament is this idea of, and that's why I picked it up in the summary, of of joyfulness, of of gratitude. That wells up as a natural response when you appreciate what someone has done for you and nobody has ever done anything as extravagant or as loving or as gracious as what we have received in Christ. See there the reference to bodies? Present your bodies. This isn't just a spiritual exercise. We are called to live whole lives. There isn't a part of your life, there isn't a part of this world that doesn't sit under Christ's sovereignty and as we offer ourselves to Him as our Saviour, we are called to live our whole lives for Him. But the particular description here that Paul uses, which is quite unique, is living sacrifices. That's obviously very laden from the Old Testament, that idea of kind of a sacrifice uh, being that which God would accept instead of you standing under judgment. But but normally that sacrifice would die, would it not? The goat, the pigeon, that thing that was put on the altar? Of course, Jesus himself was our ultimate sacrifice and he did die, but he did not stay dead. God raised him up. He's victor over death and sin. And so now we too are to offer ourselves to lay down our lives, to put to death the old self and participate in that resurrection life. And so this life in the middle between being saved and seeing Jesus face to face is described as a living sacrifice, putting to death the old self, living in Christ. It's a curious phrase, is it not? But Paul wants that to stick in our minds because we are laying down our lives for a greater purpose and we are willing, we are willing to hurt, to bleed, metaphorically, although some Christians not, for this greater purpose, for this glory. Now, some of you might be familiar with this idea in exercise. You know, you get up early, you sweat you're dying on the exercise bike or the treadmill or kind of the or, the or 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 running or or doing circuits or whatever you do, but you're doing it for a greater purpose. Yeah, you know, that summer body maybe I don't know. Some of us might be unfamiliar with that example. Uh, this. This was my example from the weekend. This is a bit of gardening that Kill and I did. Oh, my goodness. Uh, my forearm still hurt from ripping out these, these annoying plants that just grew up and exploded in my garden. And as we're sort of in the hot sun, pulling out not just weeds but plants, and kind of a, we're putting to death some of those things we didn't want in our garden, uh, i was like, why am I doing this? This is hard work. Well, we did it because we believed that there was going to be a greater purpose, that, that, that this garden would become beautiful. It's the same idea... In our lives, there are times when we offer ourselves to God and to others that it will hurt. It will cost us. But we are doing that because we believe there is a greater work happening. There is a greater glory that is worth the pain. And as we respond to God in gratitude and joy, let us serve God and others and as we keep our eyes fixed on him, on Jesus, the one in whom we have received mercy, we realize this isn't a Sunday thing. This isn't kind of a once a week kind of act of volunteering. It isn't some just kind of measuring a statistical table of kind of like how many hours do you serve or why do you serve? This is all of life. This is our true and proper worship. Paul will go on to say holy and pleasing. God that is we have been set apart for this purpose we've been saved to serve and it is pleasing to God now God is already pleased to save us to draw us to himself and call us a child of his but as we delight in that we want to please him we want to say thank you with our lives we want to see God glorified And as a living sacrifice, as we practice this serving, we are resisting that natural tendency to become like the rest of the world. Friends, we spend an hour and a half together on a Sunday morning, maybe another hour and a half in small groups during the week or in other modes of serving. You spend hours and hours and hours in your workplace, in your community And if we are not careful, that will form us. There is a whole discipleship happening in our secular world because everyone's got a gospel, everyone's got a purpose, a way of living, a hope, but so often it's not Jesus. Paul is saying, do not be conformed to this world, but offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. Worship God above all things. Friends, we are saved to serve. A greater purpose than ourselves, a greater purpose than this world, than your work, than your weekend. But as Paul goes on, just I'll touch on this very briefly here. He says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Paul is inviting us to this way of life that as you live it out, even though it may be hard as you be a living sacrifice, That you would experience a joy, a purpose, a meaning in your life that is so beautiful. You get to taste the Lord, as it were, and His vindication as He was raised from the dead. It's not so much talking about this one path that you must find. Some Christians will labour over finding that right open door... Uh, as, as though it was the one way that God had opened for them in His mystery and they've got to struggle to find that. God's sovereignty is bigger than that. He will work through you in all ways as you seek to please Him, as you lay down your life to, offer, to serve Him and serve others. And so, in joyful and ever grateful response to His mercy, let us give ourselves to God. But I just want to touch very briefly before we move into uh, the section about gifts and, and, and modes of serving. What is this sense of self? Because if we get this wrong, a few other things happen. So you'll see there in, uh, in verse 3 there at the bottom, that's written in annoyingly grey font, uh, for by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you, Not to think of themselves more highly than they ought. Instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Where do we get this wrong? We think of ourselves too highly. Like, are you a leader in a ministry? Oh, you're a great Christian. You are better than the rest. That would be wrong. Or or, or you think too lowly of yourself. I'm just a, a sinner. I'm not able to do things. You know what the great leveler is in the Christian faith? Grace, that is we have all been saved by grace and because I stand here as a pastor and a preacher, I'm not better than you, I'm a child of God just like you by grace. And so Paul says, do not think of yourselves uh, more highly than you ought, that is kind of for those that think of ourselves as very important, he's sort of cutting us back down to that grace leveler. But also we ought to think of ourselves with a certain measure of faith, and again, here, this is not kind of like, I've got more faith than you. I've measured my faith and it's better than your measure. That's not what Paul's talking about here. It's kind of like this, you know, I think Isaac touched on it last week, this sort of developmental sense of you are growing in your faith. We are all on a journey. I see this play at my household all the time where sort of one of my children will say to my youngest, what's 64 divided by 8? And he can't answer that. Oh, you're not very good at mathematics. I could do that. Like, well, you're older than him. I mean, I could ask them what the square root of negative one is, right? But uh, you talk to me about that afterwards if you want. Um, we, we don't need to prove ourselves. That's the thing of grace. Everything we do flows out from that. We are not seeking to prove ourselves, but with a certain measure of faith, as you grow in Christ-likeness. Let us keep our eyes fixed on Him. C.S. Lewis sums this up beautifully when he talks about self-forgetfulness. We are freed up. Grace frees us up from worrying about our performance and simply helps us keep our eyes fixed on God and others. Now, I've touched on this briefly before, but part of this sense of self that's important is actually not serving so much that there's no sense of self left. We ought to cherish and delight in who we are as a child of God, and that out of the overflow of that... Let us serve. So don't think of yourself too highly. Don't think of yourself too lowly. Don't give yourself so much away that there's nothing left of you so that you're depleted. But love your neighbour as yourself. Now as we move into um, the last part of of Romans 12, I'm taking Paul's cue here that there's sort of, there's two aspects to it. One is more sort of more formalised, one sort of more ministry and the other more grounded, more all of life. And so as we hit verses 4, that's a bit small, sorry, as we hit verses 4 onwards, Paul says, Now as we have many parts in one body and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another according to the grace given us. Now, Isaac said a couple of weeks ago that we're not saved into isolation, we're not in a solo quest, we've been brought into a family, a body, the body of Christ. It's just one of the ways the New Testament describes the church. It's not a social club, it's not a program, it is an organism... Now, many of us will be familiar with our bodies. Uh, You'll know that when your back hurts, like your whole body is stuffed, right? Like, you know, it's amazing just how much like a a small pain in the back means there's so much of life you can't do very well at all. Or, Or for instance, when you take a simple breath, just a one simple breath, our lungs fill with air, the heart pumps blood through the vessels in our lung, in our air sacs and sort of takes out the oxygen. At the same time, it's synced and kind of, ex, you know, you exhale carbon dioxide and kind of this cycle goes on and on. We don't even think about these things. So much of our body just does it. Our bodies are beautifully intricate. You know, a simple step forward takes 200 muscles in perfect sync. No wonder little kids sort of walk unco, right? But we've nailed that. Most of us have nailed that, right? The body is a choreography of members. Paul knows that. And he wants us to see ourselves like that. I like to think that whenever someone joins our church or leaves our church, our church looks a little different. Now, it's harder to give expression to that as we grow in scale, but we'll know in our small groups, we'll know in the teams we serve in, That when a person moves or comes, that it does change. God is bringing gifts, gifted people together to form a body. Again, you have not come to church. You are the church. And Paul wants us to take up the privilege of that. Are some gifts better than others? Are some body parts better than others? No. No. We are saved by grace, wonderfully diverse and united by grace. But let me just zoom into a little bit this verse here where it says, according to the grace given us, we have different gifts. What What are these gifts? Some of us have spent quite a bit of time perhaps thinking about what is my gift? That can be a bit of a rabbit hole, a bit of a rabbit hole of sort of introspection as you sort of query that. But let me first say that the word gift, just like the word gratitude that I touched on in the Thanksgiving service last Sunday, comes from the word that I keep banging on about, and that is, any takers? Grace. Grace. The word gift is charismata, which is where we get charisma from, that idea of sort of giftedness, as it were. And the root word in that, charis, is grace. And so when we say gifts in the New Testament, we're talking about grace gifts given to us by grace and serving as a vehicle through which God's grace might bless others. That is that that we are saved to serve. We have been gifted with various things in order that we might let God's grace flow through us and to bless others. Do you remember what um, gratitude meant? From last week, that's pushing the Mary Banks. It's also got the same root word of grace. I think I summed it up as um, that spirit given ability to see grace and to affirm its goodness and its giver as good. Do you see how our whole life is grounded in grace, in what we've received? But as Paul goes on to talk about various gifts, and it's certainly not an exhaustive list, he he thinks firstly about sort of ways that the body functions. So prophecy, or serving, or teaching, encouragement, giving, leading, mercy. Now prophecy, just briefly there, I I take it to mean as that ability to to bring to bear God's word in people's particular circumstances. Uh, Many of us might have practiced that unwittingly. But you see here there's there's various functions here that the church would look quite different if there wasn't someone gifted in teaching or, or gifted in serving or gifted in encouragement. But I think we'll find, as we saw in Colossians, that it's not just me gifted with teaching, that we are to teach one another. We all have these kinds of gifts And what might be more helpful than trying to sort of simply discern what is my one gift that God has given me so that I might sort of shine my brightest in the church is to simply ask some basic questions. That is, as you get to know yourself and in conversations with others, where are the needs? What are you passionate about? How might you serve? Have a go and grow. It's even got a ring to it, right? Don't limit yourself to, my gift is being a leader, so I'm not good at those other things. (laughs) That's the way of the world. Friends, we are saved by grace to serve from the ground up in the model of the one who bent down into the dirt and washed his disciples' feet. We are living sacrifices. I hope you're starting to see that you don't just go to church, we are the church and we ought to not hold back that gift, the gifts that we've been given, that, that is us as a vehicle being able to, to bless others with the grace we've received. Now we've tried to give expression to a variety of, of needs and ways that people could use gifts in the life of this church. Here's just a bit of a screen grab from uh, our vision booklet on, on the website. And there's a whole bunch of different ways, We're not just after Bible readers and, and whatnot, there is a huge array of possibilities And I would love you to actually look through this and go, oh, that sounds kind of interesting. You know, last week we heard there was a whole bunch of needs as our kids and youth ministry grows. uh, We'll only be able to keep that growth if we continue to resource it. And I know sort of sometimes I romanticise the idea of sort of a house church where where there's no rosters and it's just all beautifully organic. But the thing is, is, as we grow by God's grace, we are able to do great things together. And as we do that, we need to kind of build a certain trellis so that the vine of ministry can keep growing healthily on it. That trellis does look like structures, programs, it enables us to do great things. We could not run Tune Kids Week with 150 kids on site if there was just a few guys meeting together in a house, right? We are able to do great things as 70 people were involved in that and were organized to do so, Right? So let us, let us not be too dismayed by kind of sometimes sort of the, the structures of church. My hope is that we will be able to do all of these ministries and more so and that we might be able to spread the load well. We currently have 180 people volunteering in various ways across the life of this church. There are a handful of people who have eight roles in serving. That is, that is a lot. There are a lot of people who aren't yet serving in formal ways, that are maybe serving in one small way. My hope is that we would, as a church, distribute that evenly. Now, I know some people have more time, have more capacity, but friends, we have to come back to serving joyfully and out of gratitude. My fear is that for some of the people who are serving, who are giving themselves as living sacrifices because they can see the purpose and the glory, they will not be able to keep doing that out of joy and gratitude. And so as shepherds, pastors here, it's our job to say to people, maybe it's time to step back for a little bit. But as we do that, I want to invite people to step into. Can I encourage everybody to think about at least one way that you could be actively involved, at least one way, to be actively involved in some of the programs, some of the ministries in the life of this church? And there's many examples to help you thinking about that. But being a living sacrifice is far more than programs and ministries. As I've said, it is all of life. And so I love that Paul finishes this section, not with kind of trying to coerce people into structures, but reminding them of living a life of love. Let love be without hypocrisy, detest evil, cling to what is good, Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. What a fascinating way to put that. Take the lead in honoring one another, lifting others up, serving them. Do not lack diligence in zeal. Yes, Anglicans, pay attention. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer share with the saints in their needs, pursue hospitality. Friends, all this grounds us and keep our eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus who perfectly embodies all of these things. But look at the beauty of this, this is all of life, this is the way we share life with one another. As I think about last Sunday, and uh, you know, it was it was a loosely organised night. There was sort of enough structure to give it sort of uh, you know some space to, you know to to fly. But but largely, it was a space that we invited people in to sort of make happen. And so, as we pursued hospitality and brought food with one, you know, for the sake of sharing, uh, as people kind of helped set up, as people got up and actually shared publicly, it was a beautiful expression of many of these things. I think of my time on Beach Mission, uh, and one of the things that I kept hearing on Beach Mission, that is, Beach Mission, if you're unfamiliar with it, is this uh, kind of like, it's like Two Kids Week, but in a caravan park, uh, and uh, you're meeting with people who are, who are largely unchurched uh, day in, day out, running all kinds of programs, uh, talking with people, it, it's, it's scary, it's wonderful, but one of the things I kept hearing on Beach Mission is, was this sense of freedom to serve, that it wasn't bound by structures, but it was whatever the team made it to be. Uh, our sense of church should flow up from what Paul is describing here. Uh, as uh, Aidan's already referenced, our small groups are wonderful expressions of this most of the time. And hospitality, let us take time. Paul says pursue it. Let us actually sit down with our calendar. You know, we, we're busy, right? But let us be living sacrifices and carve out time to actually share a meal with one another. I went to a church um, a, a while ago, and every Sunday finished with a statement of, "My hope is that every single person here today is invited around for lunch to someone's place." I was like, "Whoa, that is like beautiful!" And like, "Oh my goodness, how many people are going to go home sad if they don't get that invitation?" But, uh, but I kind of, and I'd love to to be able to say it, but I think we're a long way from that. Churches are always a long way from that in a way. But let us pursue that. Let us pursue spending time over a meal together. That's one of the reasons why in the, in the vision booklet uh, for um, being a family on mission. Uh, while we will continue to run big scale events, we actually want to put some emphasis next year on running smaller scale events, on giving people space to be able to express their gifts, the particularities of, of their networks, and, and run things on smaller scales to experiment to, to, out, of, out of homes, out of the church if need be. Let us keep pursuing this intimacy, this beauty that God has put in us, that we might be vehicles of grace to bless and serve those around us. And as I share these things and as we look at this verse, I'm sure, I'm sure that most of us in the room will also be thinking about the times that we've not experienced these things, the times that we've fallen short Which is why I said at the very beginning of of looking at this particular passage that this is perfectly embodied by Jesus. He was the one who was persistent in prayer, patient in affliction, fervent in the spirit, serving the Lord, honouring one another. There is the Lord Jesus, the God of heaven, the King of kings, serving others. Friends, let us keep our eyes fixed on Him. Let the grace of Christ so well up in us that even though we fail, His mercies are new every morning. What is one thing that you might seek to do to serve others informally, in just the way that you do life? Could it be a text message of encouragement? Uh, Could it be hospitality? Don't let me limit you. What's one thing you might be able to express your sense of being the body of Christ Because friends, we are saved to serve, to serve God, to serve others. That's not an imperative that sits kind of as, as, as a guilt over us, it flows out of joyfulness and gratefulness of the mercy we have received and so if you are sitting here this morning and you are feeling heavily burdened, bitter, resentful, friends come back to that grace, whatever it takes. If it means you need to stop doing some stuff, stop doing some stuff. We ought to come back to this grace so that we can actually lean into this living sacrifice so that we are able to suffer at times, that we are able to do things at cost, but always joyful and grateful because of Christ. So please, I urge you, continue to take some time over this week to spend some time with the Lord in prayer, and thinking through some of the things we've mentioned in this vision series, with perhaps the booklet open, think about how you might be a living sacrifice to one another as God does a great work in you and us as His body. Let me pray. Father, we offer ourselves to You because of all that You've done for us in Jesus' Amen.